I was having lunch with a friend on on Friday and uh, probably had, you know, it's probably a similar conversation that maybe a lot of you guys have had recently as uh, we sat down and I think the first thing he said is like, what do you, what do you think about all the things that are just happening in the world? Um, as, uh, you know, as we look at, I don't know, the last three weeks, it seems like almost every other day, something is, is newsworthy in a, uh, a very serious sense. And uh, sometimes, you know, you just kind of, as we stop and think, like, what do we make of everything that is going on? So I figured, you know, I'd ask you guys that. What, how, how do you answer that question? If somebody says, you know, how do we make sense of, of everything? Because, you know, as humans, we, we want to, we you know, answer the why questions. We want to try to, you know, put um, things in categories. And so how would we, you know, we, we've, you know, in the last several weeks or last month, you say the, you know, an attack in Orlando, and we have some of these domestic issues that uh, Pastor Kohler had had talked about uh, involving police. You know, we had the the terrorist attack in uh, France, um, and just all of these things. Uh, I'm probably forgetting something that's that's happened recently as well. Um, so how do we how do you answer that? Somebody says, "Hey, how do we make sense of all of the things that are going on?" I don't know. What, can you give counsel? Can you give wisdom? Can you give insight to that question? We don't. We don't. You don't what? We don't make sense of it. We don't make sense of it, okay? We live in a, a fallen Genesis world. This is the result of the fall. Okay. So we don't, we don't make sense of it. You can make some sort of sense and just say, like, that's just kind of the way it is. This is kind of like how things are. What uh, is there any comfort that can be given? Okay. We we know the end that he's appeared to be birthday, or at least back from him. This isn't we're we're supposed to pass him through. Mm-hmm. So, so knowing where we're at now, and knowing the end, and knowing you know this is all in, in God's sovereignty, knowing that it is just the way things are. Are there anything that anything that that we as as Christians, or maybe I mean, maybe we can just step back and say we as just humans, and so we can involve everybody. How do we typically react when we hear these things? What's that? Panic. Okay, uh, certainly, uh, certainly one reaction is that we can we can worry about the things that are going on. I know, you know, when I taught uh, world history a couple years ago uh, to sixth graders, uh, it was when Russia invaded the Crimean Peninsula, you know, in Ukraine, and that was kind of like the big, you know, what what's Russia going to do next? Like, what, so what do you think that big thing is right now? What's our big worry? We're on the world stage, yeah. So we got that, okay. We've got Brexit. what's that? Brexit. We got the Brexit, Pokemon Go. You know, so <laughs> has, everyone, has everyone seen Pokemon Goers? You know, at least like what are those three or four people doing wandering in the street? Oh, they're playing a game. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, that's um, 
off topic, uh, but on topic. So, um, so, so we can we can kind of kind of kind of worry. We can defend ourselves, right? I'm sure there's going to be, in some sense, uh, you know, there might be an increase in gun sales. There might be an increase in security, things like that. As we start to think, like, what if something happened closer to home, or or uh, you know, and and kind of prepare ourselves. We can kind of prepare for the inevitable. We can kind of turn the TV off. You know, and just kind of shut it out and say, we do live in a Genesis 3 world and things happen and they're, they're going to continue to happen. And so I don't need to spend so much time, you know, worrying about these things. And maybe it's better that I don't, you know, plug in or engage. Um, just kind of, you know, see, see how, it, how it plays out in the end. So, and all these are, are kind of natural responses, and we all respond in different ways depending on the context of, of how something happens, right? You see a spider in the room, you either like shy away from the spider because, you know, spiders aren't your thing, or you attack it, right? Or you take care of the solution and take, take care of it, right? And so, we, just even on, on small scale things, we react in, in different ways. I want to go to uh, a passage of scripture. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought it was related to. Uh, what we've been talking about in Mark in some sense of like the end times and all the things that are going to happen and the increase of, of what's going on. But I didn't really want to point us in that necessarily, that direction. And then we've got uh, what's going to happen in, in Mark 14 through 16. I mean, we're almost, almost to the, the end of Mark. And so that's the end of Jesus' life as we have the culmination of Jesus' life and one of the greatest injustices in history of uh, Christ on the cross. And so, but, but how do we, you know, kind of in the, in the middle and the difficulties that we face uh, dealing with some of these things, how can we kind of bring some of those things together? And I think Paul does a good job of, of doing that. And again, there's plenty of places that we could have gone. Um, and so I wanted to go to Philippians, Philippians 1. Um, yeah, Philippians is a letter that, uh, that Paul is writing from jail. And, uh, and, and what is, I don't know, if you guys knew a theme, any, any of you that have studied Philippians, what, what is like a theme? If you could boil it down maybe to, to one word. What do you think that one, one word theme would be? Joy, yeah, exactly. Now, Paul repeatedly throughout this uh, letter says rejoice. And I think that's just kind of, you know, as you read the letter, um, you know, Ripping it out of its context is, is almost doing an injustice to the letter itself. Understanding where he's at and what situation he is in, that he is uh, under Roman guard as he's writing not only this letter but several other letters, but that the Philippians specifically, that he keeps repeating this, um, you know, this theme of rejoice, rejoice. And so how can Paul rejoice in some of these circumstances so uh, we'll see how far we get. I've got kind of five points that I'm going to make, but we may only get to a couple of them because uh, I do want to kind of build the context. And I guess if and we'll see, we'll see uh, next time. Next time I'm up, if we can finish it off um, sometime soon. But I want to look at uh, Philippians uh, 1, 12 through 30, and look at some of these verses um, that Paul says just right in the introduction of of his letter. Um, so I'll read that first paragraph. He says, "I want you to know, brothers." That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
So remember, again, Paul is, is, is and I'm going to talk about the, the circumstances of where, what Paul's undergoing, not only just in jail, but how he got to that point in jail. But he's speaking uh, with such confidence in, 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 in such a way that he's actually bringing comfort to the Philippians. He's in jail. They're worried about his imprisonment. And he's saying, listen, don't worry about me. So he is in this difficult circumstance, in this difficult situation, possibly facing death if uh, Caesar dictates that that is his end. And he says, you know, don't worry. I want you to know that what's happened has actually served to advance the gospel. So one of the first points that we can kind of draw from this is that whatever the situation is, whatever the difficulty that is going on, whether we are going through it ourselves, so we can apply it in that first person, we're in Paul's shoes, probably not in Paul's shoes in, in that severity, but whatever the difficulty is, or whenever we see some sort of difficulty going on elsewhere in the world, we should look at how the gospel, or look at how that difficulty can bring glory to God. How that difficulty can bring glory to God. Well, what, what has happened to Paul? So how can, he, how can he say that what has happened to him can bring him glory? Well, if we go back to, to Acts, and I'll just kind of summarize. I don't know, well, maybe we'll flip to it. So flip to Acts chapter 20. Uh, we'll say 21. And I don't know, I might summarize, but if I feel like it, I might just stop and say, let's, let's read some of this. So, um, so Paul is ending his third missionary journey, and on his, is in Acts 21, and he stops in Ephesus uh, on his way back to um, Caesarea, which is where we was, or I'm sorry, Antioch, which is where his home church is, and so uh, it's, then he's going to make his way to Jerusalem. So he stops in Ephesus. He gives this really heartfelt message to the Ephesian elders saying, you know, and you kind of have this idea that they, they may not see Paul again. And so Paul stops there. He wants to make sure he meets with the leaders. He doesn't actually go to Ephesus because he knows that'll, that'll uh, uh, increase the time of his journey. So he meets them a little bit south of, of, of Ephesus, meets with the leadership. That's recorded in uh, Acts 20. And then we get to Acts 21 that... He finally, he makes himself, uh, makes it to shore, and uh, when they, they came to Caesarea, so this is in, in verse 8, there is a prophet that came from Judea, and the prophet says, you know, uh, takes Paul's belt, wraps it around his hands, and says, whoever's belt this is, this is what will happen to him. And everyone's like, don't go to Jerusalem. So far, this prophet has been right on. He's, he predicted a famine earlier. It came true, you know. Don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul says, listen, my life is to, exp- is to be expended for the gospel. I need to go to Jerusalem. So he goes to Jerusalem, and what happens? There's a, uh, he's outside the temple, and he's accused of bringing Greeks in the temple, even though that wasn't the case, but this mob kind of uh, ensues. And he is arrested because the Romans that were on guard there feared for his life. And so that's uh, in, at the end of, of 21, that Paul is arrested, and then he, he addresses the crowd and uh, speaks to them. And as soon as he says that he was brought, you know, that he was uh, uh, 
in service for the gospel to the Gentiles, the crowd's like, we don't want anything to do with you. And so Paul is in jail, and he needs to now go before the Pharisees and Sadducees. He goes before the Pharisees and Sadducees who are going to try to determine his fate, and he knows that both the Pharisees and Sadducees, he used to be, again, remember, one of, a chief of Pharisees, and so that uh, they have seen that he's kind of turned against them. And he knows that his life is on the line because this is a matter of, you know, that, that could be seen as life or death. And so when he gets there, he actually turns the tables on them and gets them to argue amongst themselves instead of actually trying Paul. And so they get into an argument, and so he's back and he's put in jail. Well, this angered them so much that there was a group of men that decided that they were not going to eat, they were going to fast until Paul has been killed. And so Paul now has a death sentence over his head. And so the Roman uh, cohort actually found out about it, and they protected him, uh, and so that, that they weren't gonna, he wasn't going uh, to be killed. And eventually he appeals to go to Caesar. He's like, it's not safe to be here. I'm going to appeal to go to Rome. And so he's taken to Rome. What happens on his way to Rome? He gets shipwrecked, okay? So, so far we've got Paul... Predict, prediction that he, something bad's going to happen. Something bad did happen. He was arrested. Then there was a plot to kill him that he found out, and it was actually a couple times they plotted to kill him, but were unsuccessful because the Lord had, had, uh, had made it known that it was, these things were going to happen. He gets to, he's on his way to Rome, shipwrecked. What happens after he got shipwrecked? He goes to, they, actually, before they got shipwrecked, as the boat was going down, what did they want to do with all the soldiers, the Romans? They wanted to kill all the Roman soldiers. He appealed to them not to do so. So we got another time that he's almost faced death. Uh, then they actually get shipwrecked. They swim to shore. Everybody miraculously is saved. He's sitting by a fire. What happens then? He gets bit by a snake, right? And every, all the locals were like, this man must be a murderer. Surely he's going to die. He just takes the snake, throws it off. Nothing bad happens to him. Okay, so uh, bit by a snake. So, you know, he's got all these things that happen. He finally makes it up to Rome. And this is where he's under, <coughs> under house arrest. And uh, he sees it as an opportunity to share the gospel with some local Jewish leaders. And you see that kind of at the, begin- the end of Acts. So if you think about what Paul, all the things that he's dealt with just to get to jail, and not only that, that he is in a prison cell, I mean, he, he, he has almost the context of th- thinking that I should have been dead several times already, but I'm here at least in a jail, and whatever the circumstance is, God has me here in this jail for a particular reason. Now, <clears throat> Paul's reaction, again, is that, let me go back to, to where we are. Paul's reaction is, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what happens to me is really to serve to advance the gospel. All of these things, the, the Roman soldiers would have known what he has dealt with, what he has gone through. People would have been talking about Paul and everything that he had faced, and that actually served to set him up to be somebody who maybe you would give an ear to, right? If you knew that somebody went through all these difficult circumstances, it's those type of people that are usually given money to, to speak and give motivational speeches, right? You know, you don't want somebody who's like, I've never done anything, I've never suffered at all. Let me tell you, you know, why you should, you know, have a great life. So it's usually the people that have faced adversity, and Paul at least has faced uh, a lot of adversity. And he says, because of some of these things, because of what I've dealt with, and even because of where I am right now, that... 
my being in jail actually, and, and all the circumstances that led to that, is actually a cause to serve to advance the gospel. Now, I just want to put a disclaimer, right? Because the first time you hear of a tragedy, you know, I don't think our normal actual reaction is like, praise God, right? How, how can, but, but I do think, you know, as we stop and we think, because Paul himself would say, right, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When tragedy strikes, you know, there is that period of the emotions, the, the trying to sort things out, trying to think things through. But once the dust settles a little bit, I think it's important for, especially if we are in that situation, to see how, how God can be glorified through whatever this tragedy is. Whatever it is that we face, and whatever the other people are going through, how can they glorify God? How can God seek to find glory no matter what they're facing? Now, it says that the gospel has been, been advanced, and so who has it been advanced to? What does it say there in, uh, let's see, verse 13? So his tragedies, his difficulties have been known to who? Okay, the imperial guard. What's that? <laughs> yeah, so to the imperial guard and to all the rest uh, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Yeah, so everybody that, that knows Paul or knows who he is, he's, he's almost a local celebrity um, in, in that sense of what he's gone through and what he's dealt with. But the Imperial Guard knows it. Now, uh, some other translations may say the Praetorian Guard. In the Praetorian uh, Guard, there was a Praetorium in Caesarea, and, and it's basically, a, uh, I think, Pretora means a tent, and it was a tent where uh, guards or officials were. And so that term ended up being uh, used to describe this elite class of soldiers. Uh, according to Erdman's Bible Dictionary, the guard was commanded by the emperor himself, so with one or two praetorian prefects of equestrian rank as subordinate officers, its members were primarily recruited from Italian towns. Although established to protect the emperor, the guard would eventually become an actual threat to his safety. As early as AD 31, the Praetorian prefect Sejanus was charged before the Senate with treason and was executed. In 41, Caligula was murdered by a Praetorian tribune. In the confusion that followed, Claudius, found hiding in the palace, was brought to the camp and hailed as emperor. A similar occurrence led to Nero's accession, and during the civil war of 67 through 69, the Praetorians raised their own candidate. Otho as emperor. This trend reached its uh, pinnacle in 193 when two rivals stood near the Praetorian camp and traded bids for the emperorship. So, in some summary, it was they were they were uh, had a lower uh, they had higher pay, they had a lower service time that they had they were commissioned for. Uh, they had a, a specific rank, and they even wore distinct clothing from everyone else. And it turned out later on that the Praetorian became so powerful that they actually were emperor makers, and you could say king makers at that time. So how can we say that the Praetorian Guard was um, uh, a powerful and influential people? And they were the ones who were assigned to guard Paul as he was waiting to uh, appeal his case to the emperor. And during that time, we find out that 
his story, his you know, reason why he was there, has been known to all. And those that are in the, in the guard. Does anyone know what happened to anybody in the guard? We'll, we'll find out in a second. So, he says that. I want to know that, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And... Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So who are the brothers? Who would you say that is? Okay. More specifically, you say like maybe who they, who his brothers were? Who would be those that uh, maybe might be more confident by his imprisonment? Okay, yeah, so you could probably say in the general context, it would be all that would be, would, all Christians that would, would be known. He's probably thinking more, a little more narrowly with those of his brothers that are in prison with him, because some were, were stayed with him and were in prison, and, and some were free to go, come and go and, and talk to Paul during his imprisonment. So those his ministry companions. Now, through what Paul dealt with and through the difficulties that he faced, and through the attitude that Paul has throughout his time here, that we see that it's having a ripple effect on those who are, are, are in his, you know, I guess are in his camp. Whether it is just general Christians, or whether it is specifically those that are his ministry partners, that they have now grown in confidence in the Lord. And so, what did that confidence do? They're now more what? Bold to what? Okay. Yes, okay, so the, the, the Romans would speak spoken Latin, but also they would, have, they would have known Greek as well, because Greek ended up being more of the common language. It was not, you know, because of Alexander the Great coming through uh, and spreading Greek to most of, I don't know, all, probably all the way up to Persia, um, that when the Romans took over, that Greek had already been established. So even though they would have spoken Latin probably in Rome, uh, elsewhere they would have communicated in Greek. So, whether Paul knew Latin, uh, there's no, um, yeah, there's no indication of that. But he probably would have spoken in in, in Greek. And you see, when at, when uh, Paul addressed the crowd in Acts, uh, he spoke Hebrew to the people. So we have an assumption that he was speaking some other language, probably Greek, <laughs> not necessarily Aramaic. But he, he addressed them in Hebrew, and so they gave an ear to him. And as soon as he hit the word Gentiles, I was here to serve the Gentiles. They were like, all right, we don't want to hear anything more. Anyway. Good question. Um, all right, so his brothers were those who were in prison with him, also those who are his companions who, who aren't in prison. And they now have, whether those that are also in prison with him, who are under the guard, you know, that now they're a little bit more bold to speak the word because Paul is bold in speaking the word, or that it's also his ministry companions that are taking his letters to other places, and they're also visiting other places because Paul is under arrest as well. They are emboldened to speak the word without fear. Uh, was this the first time that Paul was in jail? This whole experience. Okay. Yeah. And so in some sense, what, do you remember where he was imprisoned beforehand? I know he was definitely in Philippi. Okay. He was definitely imprisoned in Philippi. And who is he writing to? 
The Philippians. All right, so what was the context of what happened in Philippi? It cast out a demon from a girl who was telling fortunes, and the people who were profiting from it had him arrested. Okay, so had him arrested, and then he was beaten, and then he was in jail, and then what happened? Okay. The jailer was about to kill himself because he knew that he was liable for his life. And Paul <clears throat> made sure not only did, was he not liable for that, but also gave him the gospel and he believed. Okay. Yeah, and when they were in, when they were in jail, like before that happened, you guys remember the, Paul's attitude and temperament during that time? He was singing and praising God. He was, while he was on the rack. Yeah, he was singing and praising God while he was on the rack. I mean, I just, you know, when I read those things, I, like, I'm inspired by Paul's life. You know, as you think, again, like, what's the first thing that I would be doing when I'm arrested? Yeah, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen. But if I was arrested, you know, I would be calling my wife and trying to find a lawyer. And, you know, you're, you're so mixed up with everything. They're just singing, singing and waiting. <laughs> and then, you know, the Lord delivered him. And, and what happened, end result, the Philippian jailer ended up receiving the Lord and his household as well. So this wasn't the first time that Paul was in jail, right? And so in some sense, you can say, I've been here before, and I understand the difficulties that that come with it. I mean, he's, he's talking to the Philippians, so he's like, you shouldn't really worry about me either. Like, when I was with you, you should remember I was arrested, and remember how all that happened. But what does that go to show us? It goes to show us that, one, I mean, difficulties will occur repeatedly, cyclically, because we are in a fallen world, because we're in a, a Genesis 3 world. And so, but also it shows us that we forget often the fact that the Lord got us through the last difficulty, and then we face another difficulty, and he'll get us through this one. And we don't know how exactly it's going to end. Again, Paul doesn't know if he's going to be released or not. We see that he has a confidence that he's going to be released, uh, just because he feels like his work's not done yet. But we'll get to that in a little bit, or the next time we get together. So um, this wasn't, you know, the, the, the first time that he had been in jail, and it's not going to be the last time that he is in jail. And he's, his attitude throughout, at least, you know, what he's, what he's showing is that he's praising God for the circumstances, for what happened. If it wasn't for Paul being thrown in jail, that Philippian jailer likely would not have heard the gospel and been saved. So you can see the outcome of, like, him being thrown in jail unjustly, uh, but there is a positive outcome. Him being in jail in Rome, you know, God had told him, I want you to go to Rome. And so Paul had thought, I'm going to go on a missionary journey. As we're going through the book of Romans, what, what did he say at the beginning of the book of Romans? When he wrote that letter, he says, I'm going to come to Rome, and on my way to Rome, I'm actually going to go to Spain, and then uh, you know, we'll see that at the, at the end. That was his, his goal. We don't know if he ever made it to Spain, but he's got all these intentions about how he's getting from one place to the other on his own accord, but God's like, you know what, I'm actually going to have you come by other means. You're actually going to be under guard. And uh, the result of that, if you, if, you end up, if you flip to Philippians 4.22, is that when Paul is giving the, the greeting to, you know, or the, the ending, which is usually like greet others at the very end of the letter, um, I see it's verse 21. He says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. I mean, it's just amazing that there are those that are in Caesar's household who Caesar was a wicked man, not a Christian by any stretch of the, uh, of the imagination, but there are those that are in his midst uh, that know the Lord. 
And so whether it was they were saved and went back to Rome and happened to be a part of that, or if it's a direct result of Paul's preaching the gospel to the imperial guard and those that are in his household heard the gospel through him, we don't know. But we do know the end result is that there are those that are saved through the faithfulness of those who preach the gospel. So what are the, what are the positives that we can see of Paul's predicament? One is the gospel is advanced, right? The gospel is known, right? These, these guards would not hear the gospel, especially, you know, them being seated in Rome, which Christians were a small, small percentage of the, that pagan world. Their, their life would have been going maybe to the pagan temples. If they went on some assignment somewhere else, it would have been to other pagan uh, areas or, you know, other, other religious areas, uh, likely not to Jerusalem, where, again, Christianity was a very small, small percentage but they, the gospel was brought to them through this prisoner. And so the gospel is now known to some people who would have never heard the gospel in one stretch or another. Secondly, we see that it encourages other Christians, that the difficulty he's facing has now encouraged some to be bold in preaching the gospel. So how do we take this kind of this first point, right? This, this how can this difficulty glorify God, right? How do we respond? Well, one... We can pray that the Lord raises up men and women to preach the gospel. Like whenever some tragedy hits, you know, we can stop and say, you know, we can stop and, and ask the Lord, Lord, through this time, I pray that there are those that are there preaching the gospel. And I remember after the, you remember the earthquake that happened in Haiti? Or was it like, I don't know, however many, six, seven years ago? Seven years ago? Eight-ish, somewhere around there. Um, that uh, I remember talking to a missionary shortly after he had, he had come. This is when we were in L.A., and he had come to a conference there. And, but he was there during that time, and after the earthquake, you know, that's when people are, are rocked. And they're thinking, you know, why has this happened to us? And that's when people start seeking answers. And so he was there, and he was saying, you know, people were flooding the churches after those times. We saw, like, maybe an uptick around 9-11 here in our country. But every time some of these tragedies happen, it starts to spark in our minds, one, the finality of our lives, uh, if, if you're an unbeliever, I mean, believers as well, but also that the, the fact that we want to seek answers, but if we don't have the Word, we don't have answers for these things. And so we should pray that there are those that are in specific opportunities in those areas that can minister to the people of Orlando. Those that are in France that can minister to those people that are dealing with difficulties, whether it's lost loved ones or lost people they know, or the fact that uh, they're just in the midst of, uh, uh, of a place where they're continually dealing with an influx of competing religious views. And so, um, so how can we kind of respond to that? after we kind of let the dust settle, how can God be glorified, as God can be glorified through the salvation of others? And praying just for the fact that there are those there, Lord, please use people to share the gospel and to reach out to others. Now for us, I mean, it's the same thing. Like we're in situations where we get together with, with lunch, uh, for lunch with people, and people ask, like, so what do you make of all the things that are happening? So the, the friend that I was with was a believer, and we kind of talked in that, that area. But it's also an opportunity for us, as things happen in the world, how do we make sense of it? Well, we can make sense of it instead of just shrugging our shoulders and saying, you know, I have no idea. I mean, there's a limited sense of we don't know specifically how the Lord will work, but we know how the Lord is working through his people 
in order to bring glory to him. So, first, look at how the difficulty can glorify God. Paul did that, especially when he was counseling the Philippians, as they were worrying about him and, and facing this kind of difficulty. And he said, don't worry about me. What actually happened to me is happening to me for God's glory in the advancement of the gospel. All right, second point, uh, verses 15 through 18. So he said, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not, necess- not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every other every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now this kind of paragraph seems like it's a little odd for him to like say, "Don't worry about me." It's advancing the gospel in order, you know, to the Praetorian Guard or the Imperial Guard, uh, and it's emboldening people to preach the gospel. And then he talks about people who are preaching <coughs> gospel for like selfish gain, which is kind of odd. But in a sense, it fits the context of what of what he's saying. And I think it's something that, that is, is honestly truly humbling. So, so the second point is look how this difficulty causes opportunity for others. How does this, got, this difficulty uh, cause opportunity for others? Well, now Paul is out of the way, right? And Paul was bringing the gospel as a missionary to different places. And he never wanted to go to a place that somebody had already preached the gospel to. He didn't want to lay a foundation you know, or, or lay work on somebody else's foundation. And so now that Paul is kind of out, out, of, out of the way, um, there are others who were encouraged to preach. And he acknowledges it, right? He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, right? He says some actually did it for selfish reasons, that, you know, whatever it was, I remember when I was, uh, you know, I was in college. I was at this big mega church, and I remember, you know, seeing the this, the preacher, and there was probably preaching to like three thousand people. And at some point, I thought, like, you know, I'd like to do that. I don't know what it was. I don't think it was necessarily like, you know, I'd like to preach to three thousand people, but I could kind of see like the impact that he was making on people's lives. And in some sense, it was kind of like, you know. You know, maybe someday, maybe someday. And so whether that was for a selfish reason, I mean, I'm sure there were some, some things about it, right? I don't know if I went to a church where they're preaching to 50 people and I was like, I want, you know, wish I could do that. You know, in my 20s, uh, that wasn't, wasn't where, I was, where I was thinking early on in my Christian walk. So sometimes, you know, we do things out of whether it's notoriety or whatever, and, and there are certainly people in the pulpit today that do it out of those things. They, they like the attention. They like, you know, whatever it is. And Paul says, you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that as long as the gospel is preached. Now, he's not saying, I'm okay with somebody going up and preaching a watered-down message, and, you know, it's not really the gospel, but as long as people feel comfortable and they, they want to say that they're Christians, that's okay. No, he's saying, as long as they're preaching the gospel, but if their motivation is, you know, wow, Paul, you know, Paul really has a following. Remember when he went to Corinth? Right? There were people who were like factions that were forming uh, over Apollos, over uh, Peter, and over Paul. And so there are, some, you know, there are some followings that happen just naturally in the ministry. And he says, if, if I'm out of the way, 
it opens up an opportunity for people to come in and to build on the work, right? Some people are encouraged by, or are, you know, are encouraged by me preaching the gospel in prison. And if they are emboldened to preach the gospel and they're maybe motivated for, you know, the fact that like, well, somebody needs to take Paul's, Paul's position and they are encouraged in that way, he says, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I mean, have you ever done something because somebody got attention for it? Have you ever really thought thought about that? You know, somebody like somebody raises their hand in class. You know, when you were a kid, and you know, like, man, teacher always likes them. Maybe I'm going to do that. You just got to know the answers, right? It's usually the opposite. Usually, usually kids are like, you know, I'm not going to say anything. But yeah, can anybody have like a? Does anyone have like a something in their thought? Like they remember. Somebody got attention for something, and so they wanted to do the same thing, just for the attention. You think about that? Probably. If you're not, you're you're much more pious than I am. There's, there's plenty. I mean, there's plenty of times that I can I can just think like somebody did something. I'm like, well, I'm going to do that too, you know. And uh, you know, and Paul says, you know, it's it's okay. I mean, why does everybody want to want to? Not everybody, not you, but. Why, why is like why is why are there so many so many people that you know want to be Hollywood movie stars or they want to like just play music and have a following you know it's like the crowd right it's that that idea is is uh, something that when people get attention for it that it provokes people to follow in those footsteps but Paul Paul's reaction was you know what take my spot All right I'm in prison I can't do this take my spot I gladly give it up people need to hear the gospel. And if God has me in here, he's got me in here for a reason, which means that there's an opportunity for somebody else. As long as the gospel is preached, he's like, I will, I'll encourage you. I'll encourage you. Now, I mean, this, this point is difficult, right? It's difficult in our sinful flesh. I mean, I, I don't know how many times like, I've reacted in those, those ways. Although, it's interesting, over my time uh, of teaching, uh, you know, I've taught like, a lot of different subjects, and I've thought about the fact that an opportunity opened up, somebody left, for whatever reason, something opened up for a class to be taught, and I filled that role. And because I filled that role, it left a vacancy somebody, somewhere else, and then somebody else was, was hired for that particular position. And then, you know, somebody else has been given, given a job for those reasons. And I think in some sense, it's, it's good to kind of think in those terms, although it's incredibly hard if there's some sort of difficulty. I mean, if, if your boss says, I'm sorry, we have to fire you, <laughs> You know, your, you know your, your immediate reaction is not, well, praise God, somebody else, you know, I'm sure needed a job better, more than me. Although we can think like that in time and over time. But what are these tragedies? I mean, I think for the fact, like if I look <laughs> at my own life, my dad died when I was four, which left kind of this vacancy, right? So my stepdad is now in my life for whatever reason because my dad died. It was through my stepdad that the gospel was shared. And so, I mean, you know, it was like the Bible was nothing that we read. But I remember when he was first dating my mom, I was in that high school, like, asking questions phase. And he would always just open the Bible. The Bible says this. Well, the Bible says this. And it was through that that my mom came to know the Lord. And it was through that that I came to know the Lord. And you have all these things that, like, very possibly that my dad died, the tragedy that that left, and all the baggage that it's, you know, had on my family since that time, extended family and all of that. But 
you know, what's the silver lining to that cloud was that I know the Lord. And so whether that was like, the, you know, the Lord would have used some other means, but I know that that's how it happened, and you can look back and see those things. You know, how, how do these tragedies, you know, bring a silver lining? Like, we don't know what those silver linings are unless maybe we talk to people in those situations. Like you talked to the, the missionary in Haiti that says people came to the Lord that would have never come to the Lord unless God, you know... Uh, allowed this earthquake to happen. And sometimes these tragedies occur. And they occur, you know, I mean, if you look, they sometimes occur in certain communities that the gospel would never reach unless people's hearts and minds are, and eyes and their spirit is awakened through some of this. But it's really hard to just say now, okay, I'm dealing with this difficulty and it now allows an opportunity for somebody else to step in, to move in. And so, how can we respond, you know, to this? Because, I, I mean, Paul is, is definitely much further along than I am. Is that pray, you know, that the Lord will humble us. That the Lord will humble us through that time. To just really understand the fact that tragedies occur, Lord, and, and really everything that happens is by your hand. And, you know, just, just to humble us, you know, maybe in our motivations, maybe in the things that we seek, maybe something is derailing in our perfect life. And this is the way that the Lord is moving us for a particular reason, right? You know, maybe you've moved to this community because of something that happened a long time ago. Maybe you came to this church because of something that happened in your life that kind of redirected you to get to where you are now. At the time, you wouldn't have said, you know, thank you, Lord. But over time, you can say, you know, it, it's gotten to me, gotten me to the place where I am now. Yeah. You know, Paul doesn't have to about this at all and we remember that you know where he came from <clears throat> he was the proudest man there was mm-hmm. standing on his own righteousness murdering Christians persecuting you know Jesus said he was persecuting Jesus and uh, when he was converted in a very dramatic way he, uh, Ananias went to him to restore his sight <clears throat> but, you know, Ananias protested his role in this, and uh, God said, uh, Go, for he is cho- a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> when Paul was on the rack in Philippi, he knew because of his persecution, because of the torture, he was squarely in God's will. Mm-hmm. And who did he who did he uh, proclaim Christ to? Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Just exactly as as the prophecy had said. So <clears throat> everything he did, you know, when whenever he received this persecution, it was reinforcing that he was squarely in the center of God's will. That these things didn't take him by surprise. And he, he says that exactly that, you know, when he gets to the end of the chapter, that, you know, he, he mentions that, verse 29, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. He's like, I know that, you know, God spoke to me and told me you must suffer. And I know, you know, God spoke to me and said, you must go to Rome. But guess what? I'm, Jesus said, if you follow me, you will suffer. And he just says, guess what? If you follow Jesus, you will suffer for his name's sake as well. You know, maybe not, and that's often, 
not not always the first place that we go to and say, you know, praise praise God that I'm dealing with this circumstance, um, you know, for the sake of the Lord. But you're you're exactly right. So we want to pray that the Lord can humble us. Um, Sometimes, you know, we push our agenda because of sinful motives. You know, sometimes, you know, we get in the way of what the Lord wants, but guess what? The <laughs> Lord will get his way in the end. And so, I mean, there's plenty of times where we can think like, you know, I moved out in this direction. It was wrong, but, but that's where the Lord wanted me to go. And uh, he uses those things and we could get into, you know, like Joseph saying his brothers, what they meant for evil, God meant it for good. And so, um, you know, whether it's, you know, we, we, we share the gospel because we just want our neighbor to believe what we believe, you know. We, we want them to stop sinning less because it's uncomfortable for us. I mean, there's just that thing, you know, like sometimes family members, you're around family members who don't know the Lord, and it's just uncomfortable because you have different competing agendas. And sometimes you wish, I just wish we were all one big happy family and we all knew the Lord, and wouldn't that be great? But that's not, you know, that's not how the Lord is reacting. But so sometimes from our sinful motives, from our agenda, like I wish we were just one big happy family, not I really wish this person knew the Lord. You know, sometimes those things can be clouded, especially in in some of those circumstances. But Paul says, nonetheless, that if the gospel is preached, then I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, we look at this, we bring it up to modern day times, and you think of our tragedy and bad things happening, uh, uh, who do those people typically seek advice from? You know, you, you have a family member, uh, or uh, if I'm certain that uh, in larger instances, these things are, the question is, why? Why does this happen? Mm-hmm. And we, as you're going to, God is put people there to maybe comfort, to give answer as to why. When great things happen, when somebody, a team wins the World Series, it's not, they're not saying, why did this happen? It's always when it's negative. It's always when something bad has happened. And, and we pray that God has got someone there, maybe it's us, and that we're, we're there to be able to give that answer as to why. Exactly, exactly. And, and Paul says, even if it's for sinful motives, I mean, he, he's, he, in some sense, he's saying, you know, even if you're using this for political reasons, and I think of, uh, I think of, you know, every time when I, when I was at seminary, um, I think it happened a lot more in the past than recently, but uh, John MacArthur would be invited on Larry King or on some show, and um, he would always, <laughs> for whatever reason, I mean, he was there as a religious figurehead, but he would always move it to the gospel, and he, and, and so I always was encouraged by that, where sometimes you see some pastors that are on TV, and it takes them either a while, or they kind of muddle through it, and so even, you know, you know, I mean, he knew why he was on that show, he was on there to give some sort of, you know, answers why, and even though they were asking maybe in a sense of like, you know, well, we want to ask you about this controversial issues that Christians usually disagree with, that mainstream culture seems to be okay with, He'd always kind of turn it and say, like, well, that's not really the issue I want to talk about, you know, and he would, he would kind of push it to the gospel. And so, you know, I know you want to talk about this, but I want to talk about this. And, and in some sense, Paul, Paul is like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay as long as 
the gospel is preached. And I think in some sense it's, it's good for us as churches to understand that some churches do things um, for the wrong reasons, right? They, they seek big numbers or they seek a certain crowd or they seek certain things which are sinful in themselves, but if, if in the end the gospel is preached, we can stand with Paul and say people are being saved there and people are hearing the gospel and people are, you know, uh, are, are being uh, led to the Lord. You know, maybe we feel like they could do it in more effective ways or more honoring ways to, to the Lord, but we can at least have some comfort that Paul says, you know what, people are taking my spots to, to preach the gospel. Guess what? The gospel is being preached People are being saved. The Lord is using even their sinful motives to bring people to Him. So, look how this difficulty causes opportunity for others. I think, I mean, it's incredibly hard, especially as we are dealing with this. But, I mean, I know I've had minor circumstances where, you know, someone, you know, might get an opportunity than I did. It's always funny, like, you know, if an email goes out, hey, I need the first five people for this job, you know, you get paid X, Y, or Z, and, you know, you're like, oh, you're the sixth person, I'll put you on a waiting list. I always think, I always try to figure, point to think about the, one of the people on that list and say they probably needed it more than I did. At least, at least I can take some comfort in that, all right? The Lord didn't have that opportunity open up for a particular reason, and so walk maybe in the footsteps of Paul um, as he is following the Lord in this. All right, well, I have a few more points, but we'll stop there. Um, I think that at least sets the ground. I mean, really, the, the next point is, is really life or death. Uh, you know, just, just as, a, as a snapshot, Paul says, if I live, I know it's to do the work of the Lord. If I die, right, because he's, he's going to be held before Caesar, and I don't know if Caesar did this on trial. You know, you always see the gladiator thing where you thumb up. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but he had to stand before Caesar, and Caesar had to either say live or die. And... Uh, and so Paul says, you know, if I live, and I think I'm going to live because I feel like I still have more ministry to do, right? That was his motivation, was I got more work that the Lord wants me to do. We can just kind of stop and reflect about that. Are, you know, are we, is that our mindset of doing the work of the Lord? Or he says, if I die, then that's good too. Why? Because I have a greater perspective on life, right? This life is like here and now, but if I die... I am in such a, you know, I'm in a much better place than even if I were here to do, you know, God's work on this earth. But you can read that and uh, find comfort in that. But as we, again, as we look at kind of all the tragedies and it seems like things spark up a little more in the summertime, um, because we had a lot, a lot of things happen last summer as well, uh, that we kind of stop and reflect and think about these things, but, but follow Paul's example about how God can, can be glorified through this and how it can actually Uh, have an opportunity for others um, to share the gospel. All right, let me pray and I'll let you go.